Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Harshel Parik, who is the CEO of Tromso. Harshel, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. Um, where do we find you at today? I am based out of uh, Los Gatos, California, which is in the Bay Area. Nice, nice. Uh, how's the weather today? You know, it's actually uh, pretty sunny today. It's been overcast and uh, there were a couple of storms last week. Uh, I ended up getting some damage in my front yard, which is not very usual in California. But, you know, it's uh, it was a pretty big storm, apparently. So. Yeah, I'm I'm up in the Seattle area usually, and uh, we got hit really hard, and we had like three weeks of nonstop rain and wind, and it was uh, it was pretty rough. And so I got in my car and drove south, and I'm down in St. George, Utah right now. And after this call, I'm gonna hop on my mountain bike and go for a ride. <laughs> so I need the sun, need the sunshine. Hey, um, can you tell us a, a little bit about uh, Tromso? Yeah, absolutely. So we started this company about seven months ago, so very, very new still. And a lot of uh, the motivation behind starting the company for us was the pains that we personally felt. So I used to be the head of security at uh, an enterprise SaaS company before in the Bay Area. So I've been a security practitioner all my life. This is my first time you know, building a company and starting it. And I did that mainly because there was just so many challenges that we felt in the space of AppSec and, you know, building security that's relevant and uh, important for developers that we felt like this is a problem that we need to solve. We felt that nobody has solved it yet. So let's solve this today. So we started this company and we're, we're calling it Tromso as an, uh, and what we're building is an application security management platform. And what that does, it helps you automate and scale your AppSec processes across the software development lifecycle. Well, you know, and I, I was reading the an, an article and it looks like, if I have this correct, that you, a, a lot of your initial investment was raised from a, a group of, it says 25 leading CISOs. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. And it's so, 27. So, yeah. 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 I mean, so that's that's pretty important because these are people who actually understand security, understand the problem. If they're willing to uh, to invest in this, this shows that but one, there is a problem and two, that they they have some belief in your solution. Um, before we I, I, I do want to come back to, you know, Tromso's specific solution uh, later on in the conversation. But first off, I'd, I'd like to you know, maybe kind of set the stage and get an understanding of, you know, why is a solution needed for security in in the develop in the context of development? And you know, I, I from what I understand that there can be some some friction between developers and the security team. So maybe you can kind of set the stage. Yeah. So I'll um, I'll I'll paint a story that I personally felt right. So back in the day, uh, before DevOps, before CI/CD. Um, what we did in application security is we had a number of different checkpoints. You go to you go to look at any maturity models, and you know the typical standard process of integrating security would be, you know, you do a, a, um, a, an impact assessment of any new software that's being built. You do a threat model, architecture review, static analysis, dependency analysis, and you you know do a bunch of manual reviews and uh, automated scans. 
so a lot of that was, you know, uh, fine and good until uh, the software was being released very, very quickly. So back in the day when you were, when companies were releasing software, you know, once in three months, once in six months, you had all the time to schedule and, you know, look at all these types of assessments and reviews and then tell developers, hey, you need to fix all these things before you can go live and they would have the time to do it. But now in this world where developers are pushing code several times a day, if not more less frequently, the, how do you actually do that? Like, when do you do a threat model? When do you have the time to do a scan and you know send a PDF report to somebody who will triage and fix it? And then you you really can't do any of the traditional application security processes in a modern development lifecycle, right? And that's becoming the reality. So our industry in general is missing uh, a big component of how do we effectively integrate security in the software development lifecycle. And that's a big problem because uh, it, it is incredibly important to prevent security bugs from being introduced. It is incredibly important to help developers understand what is the right choice to make. Um, so we saw that as a big missing piece because developers and software engineering teams, they're moving as fast as they can. And security is sort of left behind on the sidelines, right? So how do we make security a first-class citizen of the developer <laughs> workflows, right? So that's the challenge. And uh, the fundamental hypothesis is that developers or engineers, they're not against security. Like nobody would say, I don't care about security, or most people don't say that. Um, it's just a matter of how do we enable them to make the right choice, right? And that's really what we are solving at a, at a very, very high level. Uh, level well you know when you say that nobody's against security but if it does mean extra work or a hassle do you find that developers sometimes maybe will neglect or not prioritize security uh maybe cut some corners because they really want to get that code out right yeah and and if you've got to jump through these extra hoops um that can be an issue so so on a, on a on a personal level, I'm not talking about on a process or on a because I mean obviously you have a platform that helps solve this problem, but yeah. on a personal level, as a CEO, what would you do to you know to make the developers aware of the importance of security? Yeah, I think this goes two ways, right? I mean, one of the challenges that I've seen with a lot of security professionals is that we all live in a bubble. And mm -hmm. we all believe that security should be the number one priority. And the reality is, <laughs> it's not. Right? Yeah. That's just the reality. You, 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 mean, you, mean, you mean making money in business is, is, takes priority over? <laughs> <laughs> How dare <Yeah>. you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So I think it's, um, uh, you know, a lot of the application security people, software security people, we need to get uh, a better sense of business priorities, right? If security is not in the top five priorities of the business, then there's nothing you can do that will make them fix the security box, right? That's just, just not gonna happen. It's not a business priority for the company. So then the challenge becomes, how do you convince the leadership that it actually becomes a priority? And then once there is agreement that yes, this is important, then it's a matter of making the right decisions. And yes, every once in a while, there will be cases where um, you know developers have to push a feature out, have to build a service just because revenue is dependent on it. There's just because customer wants to do it. But at the same time, it's our job to tell them like, hey, look, because you're not fixing this, the company is accepting a risk. Now, should an individual developer be the person to accept that risk? Maybe not, right? 
it should be the right person who understands business, who understands risk. Maybe they should accept uh, accept that risk. And if they don't want to accept that risk, then they should ask the developer to fix it, right? Before right. things go to production. So I think just being able to communicate what risks are we implicitly accepting by not doing certain things in security and making sure the right people know about it and it's auditable, it's, uh, uh, it's a, they help they get held accountable for those decisions. That makes a huge difference. Um, but today we we typically don't do that, right? Just just because a developer says I'm not going to fix it, everyone assumes that oh yeah they're not going to fix it, and we you know we go back and you know complain about things. But at the same time, like are we holding them accountable? Are we holding the leadership accountable for it as well, right? So that's one of the things that um, that just needs to change in a way. Yeah, and what I see is, and again, again, it starts with the leadership. But some people will look and say, "Well, the the risk is that maybe our app or our platform might not work in this situation." I think it goes above and beyond that. I mean, there's reputational risk, uh, there's regulatory risk, there's legal risk, right? And if you look at all these together, it's definitely, in most cases, not worth cutting any corners at all because it will come back and bite you. For so, sure. So, so you're aware of that, and then you you try to create awareness with your your developers. Um, what you know, tell us a little bit, you know, in terms of the awareness, but then the in the fact of giving them a process or a tool to use. How how important is that? Yeah, it, it's actually incredibly important uh, to to unblock them, right? Like if you're holding them accountable for something, like we should also empower them to be able to do their job. If you're asking them to be writing secure code, uh, we shouldn't assume that every developer just knows how to build secure code, right? So mm -hmm. we, we do need to help them understand what that actually means and build those guardrails, right? So some of the more modern security teams, what I've observed is they are focusing a lot of the, the security engineering time on you know, building secure frameworks or uh, building a list of secure libraries that the developers can just start using. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? So you don't want uh, an individual developer to make choices of like, you know, what type of cryptography to use and so on and so forth, because while they should make the right choices, sometimes, you know, they might cut corners because they might not have the time, they might not understand it, they might not just know about any of the choices available to them. So. As security people, I think this is uh, a more sophisticated security teams who are following this approach, but they are definitely there is there is uh, there is a trend that is uh, taking up traction where, the, the, you know, whether you call it uh, guardrails, security guardrails or paved path or whatever you call it, but make secure choice the easiest choice. And that's where a lot of the security engineering effort is going into making those things available to developers. I think that's it's turning out really well for the for the teams who can actually do that. So, so um, yeah, and that totally makes sense. But um, maybe you can walk me through a scenario. And again, I, I, you know, we're not doing product placement here, but but I, I would like to understand more about uh, Tramazo's uh, tool, uh, Tramzo's tool. Excuse me. Uh, can you can you walk me through, you know, a scenario? How how does a developer use it, or who uses it? How does it look, you know? And yeah, just walk us through that. Yeah. So our our intention is to. Uh, integrate security in the places where developers live, right? So we don't expect developers to all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, "Hey, I'm going to go to Tromso and see what I what 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 are the security priorities." I mean, that's typically not what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, 
so so the then the the objective becomes like where do developers actually operate which is things like github or gitlab and jira and slack and you know ci cd pipelines and so on and so forth that's where their work happens so we integrate directly with those systems and tools so all the way starting from like if you think about a normal software development lifecycle where features get planned and designed and and then there's iterative coding and testing and then there's release and all of that can happen within a week or within a day but that i mean it's a process it can run really fast and it goes on in in uh, it uh, um, it continues itself but it's a process so how do we integrate the right processes within that process so when somebody's building a new feature uh having a super small checklist like hey are you um, are you deploying this as a service in a customer environment? Are you handling any PII or PCI or HIPAA alone information? Is this going to a Fed-run controlled environment? Are you handling any sensitive information? Do you use any cryptography or any of those things? So like having those simple checks and balances, it gets security out of the way for 80% of the things that have nothing to do with security implications, right? It's just changing some text on a form, changing a button, how it looks like, it doesn't need anything in security, right? So how do you get out of the way for the the work that doesn't have any security implications? But the things that actually have security implications, how do you right size security for it? So for example, on one extreme, if someone is deploying a new service in a FedRAM controlled environment, it's gonna go through a lot of checks and balances, a lot of auditability. Uh, but if it's just changing something minor on a crypto library, then you, you just want to tell the developer, hey, this is the library, you go free, feel, feel free to use this. Um, so making that right contextual decision, that's what we enable across the lifecycle, right? So collecting the right information, like what is the service? What is the priority? What is the business risk of that service? Um, and then automating a lot of those uh, security activities after that, whether it's orchestrating scanners or managing vulnerability or triaging, prioritizing in an automated fashion, or triggering, you know, architecture reviews and threat models and stuff like that. So, so we right-size security based on where developers are operating and what they're building. So then they don't, so they can focus on fixing the things that are uh, that are actually important, right? Okay. So what I'm hearing is it's kind of a, a guide to say, you know, when when is security. Um, needed or should be a priority when it's not and it allows the developer to kind of free up because the security the developer is not going to be a security expert they're not going to understand and know yeah. all the different you know scenarios of you know sh sh should this be you know a thousand percent focused on security here or can i just can i like you said replace the text on this button without yeah. you know yeah but when it does trigger some type of you know code review or some some type of testing does does your tool facilitate that as well or is that something where then you have to go and use an external tool yeah so we we definitely do integrate with existing tools existing you know security scanners uh, whether it's a sast or sca dast container whatever it is right so we would trigger those scans um so so think about this as all of these activities are already being done by security teams it's just a human who does that, right? So it's a right. it's an AppSec engineer who's asking a developer, hey, what are you building? You know, is this, are you changing anything? Are you handling any customer information? If yes, then they would create a task for themselves to go run a scan or go do a threat model. And then when findings come, they're manually looking at those findings and prioritizing what needs to be fixed and when. 
and then they are working with release management to say, okay, this is this is good to go, or they need to fix these within 30 days, 60 days, whatever. So all of these things are already being done by humans. We are automating as much as possible. Now, we're not going to automate an architecture review because it's just not possible to automate all of that stuff. But the things that are manual, 80% of the things are very trivial. They're very manual and can be repeatable. So we want to get application security engineers out of the ditch digging work, right? Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be doing that. I mean, their focus should be on value add of, uh, you know, uh, the actual security work that they can do rather than orchestrating things and filing tickets and writing scripts and building integrations. They shouldn't have to do that. Great. Um, I... I saw in, in there was some list of um, suggested questions and, and one of the questions related to having AppSec engineers focus on more uh, high level strategic work. Can yeah. you describe some of that work? What is the high level strategic work that you yeah. want them to be focused on? Yeah, so I'll tell you one of the examples, like one of our customers, they had several different or they still have several different types of assessments that they do. So they uh, they do static analysis, they do dependency scanning. When the team deploys code, they do container scanning, they do dynamic scanning, and they have bug bounty program. So all of those things, uh, obviously, they create findings, right? Now, not all of it is relevant, not all of it is important. Like if you're scanning your source control system like GitHub or GitLab with, with a particular tool or scanner, it's going to give you thousands of things. But then again, like not everything is important. Not everything is at the same level of business risk. So our customer was manually looking into, okay, this is this is relevant. This repo is important. This is in scope for customer deployment. It's an internet-facing service. So now I'm only going to look at these things. And this is a pattern. This is a backend service. So I'm not going to worry about cross-site scripting in a backend service versus you know something else. So all of that work was manual. And we automated all of that manual work for them. So then now what they're focusing is instead of doing this manual assessments and manual, uh, you know, ticket filing and working with developers and basically shoulder tapping manually, all of that stuff is automated. So now they can focus on what is the secure framework that you can actually build. We are seeing that there is a consistent, you know, uh, uh, CSRF issues across multiple things. So let's figure out how to solve CSRF across the company. And here's a library that we built and hey developer just include this library and you're good to go right so they're focusing on those types of building the uh, you know secure frameworks type of work which is the real high value security engineering work um, that they love to do and that's what you know they get satisfied by doing that you know that smarter security work instead of uh, following up on tickets and instead of like shoulder tapping people and getting into meetings and just creating that friction why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You know, those kinds of things. Definitely makes sense. Definitely. Hey, um, I got to ask you, because uh, the company's relatively new and, uh, you know, you move from a CISO to a CEO role. So that's uh, it's got to be interesting for you. Um, tell me tell me a little bit about your uh, your business plan in terms of uh, the business model for making money. Yeah, so the business model is 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 um is, you know it's a standard SaaS based subscription. So uh, what we intend to do is free up a lot of our customers, AppSec engineers, to do more higher value work, right? So, mm-hmm. so then they can uh, so they they don't get constrained on hiring more and more AppSec engineers. And we all know that talent is is a really big problem in this in the security space. 
so they can focus on more high value work and we can automate the mundane task for them, which obviously has a, has a lot of uh, uh, cost benefits to our customers so they can scale their security programs better. They can be more confident about their risk posture when they are reporting to their board and so on and so forth. Um, so then that that just translates into direct uh, software subscription for us. I mean, it's a very standard model that everybody else is following. We're not we're not innovating on that side. Do you do you have a a, a free version or is it a freemium model at all or is it just a, a trial version anything like that? Not just yet. I mean, I think the the challenge with uh, with having a free or trial version is that. Uh, you know, it's it definitely is on the roadmap at some point, but we have to build the product in a certain way that users just intuitively know. Because the, the thing is, like, now that I'm wearing a CEO hat, like, I have to think about all of these things, right? So when somebody just clicks sign up for this, right? Will what it, do they get? What's their experience? Get, yeah. yeah. Will it be intuitive for them to just, you know, click, click, click and get value out of it? Um, or will they need to call customer support? Like if they have to call somebody to get value out of it, that's a failure on our part, right? right. So, so we have to make it intuitive. We have to make it easy to use, and that just takes a little bit of time. Um, so, so is there is, is there an onboarding process for for new users of the tool right now? I mean, yeah, for sure, yeah. right? Yeah. So as you can imagine, you know, this is a little bit of a sophisticated product. So it's not uh, it's not something that uh, you know a non security person can just start using out of the box. Um, so what we do is, you know, we shepherd our customers ourselves. Like we have dedicated people who work with them, make them successful. Um, so we start with the, uh, you know, our our customer engagements. We start with saying, hey, what is what are the problems that we can really help you solve? And we have done that across multiple different customers. So sometimes, you know, integrations might look different. Sometimes their processes might look different. So initially, we help them get over that hump, build it out. Um, and as we continue maturing the product, you know, it'll be uh, easier onboarding. Um, but uh, right now, we just give them the white glove service. Excellent. And um, and and how do you create market awareness? Are you just doing you know online or doing events, uh, podcasts like this, or do you do you have uh, people out knocking on doors? Yeah. Or so it's initially. So we just launched what about two weeks ago. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's not. It's not yeah. a. It's not been a long time that we have uh, lived a publicly visible life. So we were operating in stealth with several customers, um, and and then now that we know what are the you know the user stories that we can really help and solve, like that's that's a a really good place for us to start talking about it more uh, more frequently in the market. So we launched a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we've got tremendous customer inbound interest. Uh, so there's a lot of people who want to use our product. But, you know, I mean, it's not it's not going to scale, right? Like it's an, it's an initial thing that happens when we launch and then eventually it'll die off and then we'll have to scale ourselves. Um, so from a marketing perspective, I think there's this big, big uh, gap in, in just... Um, just adding value to the industry because I was a practitioner myself like I've tried so hard to figure out like what the problems are right? how do you solve these common problems and I used to spend hours and hours uh, every month just focusing on listening to talks at you know OVASP conferences or, or DEFCON or Black Hat and looking at AppSec um, uh, California AppSec USA conferences all of that stuff it's just so much incredibly valuable knowledge that's being shared but it is uh, like somebody has to spend hours to collect that knowledge and build an opinion. I think there's a big gap in terms of providing valuable content to the users, right? To the to the uh, to the application security people. So we are focusing a lot on building that awareness, and we'll be publishing much more content that is just valuable, right? Like we don't we're not going to write so much about hey, this is our awesome product, and here's a feature of how you can do it. Like that's very self-centered 
Um, well, there might be some of it, but, but most of it will be about like, how do we actually solve these realistic problems? I think uh, the world of um, whether you call it DevSecOps or SecDevOps or you know, shift left or whatever, like that space is, um, is just uh, beginning to become much more interesting for a lot of people. And I think there's an opportunity for us to just help the industry build an opinion of how we should solve these things. Well, I, I definitely, from where I sit, see a lot more interested in um, s secure DevOps. Uh, and it, it is a problem. It, it's definitely a problem that needs um, some help to be solved. Uh, and and I also agree with you that in terms of, you know, your way of making, creative awareness in the market, if you're providing value in terms of, you know, relevant information and a little bit of information about, you know, your platform, people will come to you because they there's so much information out there but you know you need somebody to kind of curate that and and put it into digestible chunks that makes sense for for what they're actually doing so if you can do that and you have this uh this this great platform i'm sure um you're gonna see good things um and you've got uh, you know you said I, I i said 25 but i think you came back and said 27 CISOs or even maybe even more that have invested um and so i would think that there's kind of a an opera the potential market right there right so hey guys <laughs> yeah you know it's time to yeah. time to eat some of the cooking you know so <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's it sometimes a lot of times it becomes challenging because when somebody invests there's a potential you know conflict of interest and so on and mm. so forth. so it becomes a little bit challenging for them to buy our solution but I mean, at the end of the day the reason we have them as investors is because not just that they believe in our our, our mission but they are also very informed about how to solve these problems they all come with their opinions it might be sure. different but at least it helps us build um, a, a very concrete view of like where this industry is moving and how can we help the industry go there faster, right? So like they are the brain trust that we rely on for a lot of different things. Excellent. Well, hey, um, if if anybody listening wants to get more information about uh, uh, Tromso, where can they go? What they sh what should they do? Yeah, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn. They can either look me up, Harshal Parikh, uh, in, or in just send me a message, or uh, obviously tromzo.com, T-R-O-M-Z-O.com. There's a contact us form. You can fill it out. Uh, either one is fine. Great, and I'll put links in the uh, the description to this uh, podcast, this episode. So, hey, uh, any parting thoughts? Anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, no, I think uh, th this is a good conversation. I mean, I think this uh, it's a very timely thing, what we are trying to do, and I hope there are more people who are also trying to solve the same problem of bridging the gap between security and developers. Our industry needs it. I don't want to be the only one trying to solve this problem. Hopefully, there will be more people as well, so that helps the overall industry. But yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a great time to be in this space, um, and yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And like I said, I, I'm hearing a lot more about the the need, concern, and potential solutions out there. So, hey, Harshal, it was great talking with you. I wish you the best in the remainder of 2021. And, I mean, you're just getting started, so 2022 should be a big year for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.